Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, and I'm joined with my co-host, Augusto Pinaud. How's it going, Augusto? Good morning. Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks, how are you gentlemen? Great. I'm doing well. We are going to be talking about the second stage of the workflow diagram within Getting Things Done by David Allen. And this is the stage that he calls processing in the first edition or clarifying in the second edition. And so for the rest of our discussion today, just know that we may note processing or clarifying as uh, as the terms Uh, sort of equally, okay? So I wanted to start off the discussion with how each of us defines the term processing or clarifying in the context of GTD. What we remember, say, from what David Allen told us it was in in our readings of the book and how we determine or define that in our practices today, in our productivity systems today, because they obviously change over time. I don't think that the term process or clarify is immutable just because over time, the way in which we do it is so fundamentally different because if we do it and we do it well long enough, it changes, we become better at it, and therefore processing and clarifying becomes a different process for each of us. And so I'm, I'm open to discussion on that as well. But let's start off with defining processing or clarifying. You know, as I said, you know, that collecting was something that for me was, oh, super clear, super cool. The processing part took me a lot longer to understand, okay, now I have all this, what I'm going to do, and to really slow down enough so I could really process this stuff. You know, at the beginning, it was like, okay, well, I get this envelope with papers of new car, okay, then file. And and my default answer was, when in doubt, file. What produced, in many cases, was a ridiculous big file cabinet and me going back to, oh, I forgot to register the car. So good. I knew now where the papers were, that it was a big win to comparing the, the before, but I did not really process some of those stuff. And some of that stuff went back to the inbox multiple times until I understood what that processing mean and really slow down and ask enough questions to understand what was what the action that I needed to take so that Tindiver did not come back to the inbox was required. So I think I think it's a matter of time. It's not instant. The collecting is a really easy to understand. Now clarifying processing, it takes a little bit longer to understand what are the good questions that you need to ask to yourself to really get that thing out of the way and to really get that thing moving forward. Francis, how do you define clarifying or processing in your day-to-day productivity world? Yeah, I, I, I see the a, a little bit differently, but it's, it's, it's only really a difference in language. I, I, I can see visualized capturing, but I can't visualize processing or clarifying in terms of it being, like you said, a physical action. 
in retrospect, before I even knew about GTD, the, the other system that I, I picked up, it led me to think of it as emptying. So that's the term I use in my work. There's capturing and then there's emptying. Capturing is putting uh, tasks or time demands into a capture point. And then at some later point, emptying is about removing them. And in the process of emptying these capture points, there is clarifying, processing, prioritizing, deciding, choosing, and all these other actions. But I prefer to think of it as emptying a capture point like an email inbox, leaving it void of commitments once you're done. So I I sort of see it very differently. How about you, Art? For me, the processing part or the defining or refining is really a two-step process. One is to identify all the stuff I didn't actually capture about something when I initially captured it. Because let's be realistic. A lot of times when you start to capture things, you don't get all the details because you're in a hurry. So the first part of that refinement is making sure you have all the information that you need to act to use to act on that. Second for me is to set myself up for processing that item. So not only is it all the information I need about it, but anything that I need to know or that I know I'm going to need to effectively execute on that item. Are there related connections? Are there related things that I need to go look up? Is there a piece, is there another task that's going to be triggered by this for it to be able to be successfully completed? So it's, it is a little bit of a cycle that each thing goes through, but it's literally just to make sure that it is set up to be successful when I go to do it. When I think about clarifying and processing, I do appreciate the the new term clarifying over processing. And there there is a, a minor error in the new version of the of the print edition, which has the workflow diagram and it shows it says processing at the bottom of it uh, instead of clarifying. But he he does otherwise uh, talk about it as clarifying throughout the second edition, uh, but and and actually that that's a change of perspective because before I really liked the term processing. I, I felt like it was a a uh, a very physical act, but then I recognized something about the workflow diagram in GTD, which is that you kind of toggle between thought based actions and physical actions as you go. You, as you basically vacillate between these different uh, stages of the workflow, these different skills that you have to do. And so capturing is a physical action and clarifying is actually all mental action. And so organizing, when we get to next week's discussion, where we talk about organizing, I really start to think about processing as that organizing function is actually the physical placement of, of things that you finally identified the next action and the projects for those things. So for me, clarifying is the, is really founded on and right within the structure of what David Allen says, which is the, the next action principle. And we'll talk about the next action decision, decision concept in a little bit. But the idea is, is that as something comes in, you decide what it is, and, and so it's sitting in your inbox, uh, you know, one of the many inboxes that we talked about last week, right? Your voicemail, your email inbox, your physical in-tray on your desk, your mailbox at home or at the office. And you now need to decide what it is. You have to like really determine, you know, is this a is this an, a, a, an invitation to, to a wedding? Is this a, um, a mortgage, you know, uh, financing document that tells you that you've been pre-approved for X amount of dollars to buy a home? What is it? And once you've determined what it is, then you can start to make some actions upon it in terms of, okay, well, is this thing 
actionable. Well, what is the action, right? If, if it's yes, then what is the action? If it's no, then it needs to go into some state of incubation, trash, or reference, right? So we know that it needs to go into one of those places. Uh, and David Allen, rightfully so, puts things into trash first, incubation second, and reference you know, third. And I think that's also very helpful for people to kind of uh, take into account. So that's really clarifying. So I want to talk about some of the, the fundamentals of how we position ourselves for, for good processing. David Allen gives three guidelines, and I'd like to hear from you all about your tips and tricks for being able to do this. But he gives three kind of best practices. I, I, I think of them as ideal practices because the world is not ideal. So process the top item first, process one item at a time, and never put anything back into in. So basically he says, whether it's a LIFO or FIFO process, last in, first out, or first in, first out process, you'd go from the top item first, you process one at a time. So don't try to corral things into groups or anything else like that because it becomes more inefficient. So there's a greater inefficiency in uh, doing that kind of uh, collating in the first place when if you just process them one by one, you gain greater momentum and never put anything back into it. Basically, touch it once as the old the old adage says, he wants you to deal with that thing, that thing once. Do you all have thoughts about those three guidelines and other guidelines that you feel like are helpful to the process of clarifying? This is where I start to diverge a little bit with the process outlined in the book. Uh, I struggle a little bit with this idea of top item first. And the reason being is because if you think about it from a volumetric standpoint, uh, you can often wind up with things on the bottom that never get gotten to. So what I typically will do, if I had to use the mental equivalent of something, I will do first in, first out. So if it's if it's in, if it were an inbox, a physical inbox, I would grab a hold of everything in the inbox and flip the thing upside down, and then start from there down, because an inbox is not for prioritization. It is for handling incoming traffic, and if something has been sitting in there that long that it's still at the bottom and stays at the bottom, uh, either you're ignoring something very important and you don't realize that fact, or it's not important at all and you might as well get rid of it. So. That's where I first immediately diverge from that. The one thing at a time, yes, I do definitely agree with that because you get into the situation of if you try to track, tackle everything at once or multiple things, everything starts to go off the rails. Never putting anything back into in, well, that kind of goes without saying a little bit because if you take it out and you haven't done anything with it and you put it right back in, you really haven't done anything besides waste a bit of time. There's one thing that I add to this list, though, and that's don't actually do anything. There's there's part of this mindset says that if it's under a two-minute item, go ahead and execute it. No, there's a time and a place for that stuff, and it's not during the step of clarifying. We talk all the time about focus. Don't derail yourself by just going off and knocking something off of your list and saying, okay, now I'm going to come back and continue to clarify again. We all know that reset time is longer than what it took to actually do the thing. If you have a bunch of things that you can knock off easily, there's different ways to handle that. But don't do things while you're actually trying to clarify 
what your process or what you're moving through the system. At least that's the way I handle it. I will note that David Allen does talk about the LIFO or FIFO concept of basically reversing, flipping your in-tray upside down and, and working from the oldest to the newest. He does clarify his perspective on that, but he, he says that if you are going to process your inbox to zero, you know, if you're going to clean it out, it really doesn't matter whether you start from the beginning or from the end. But to your point, Art, you know, it's really important to recognize that there can be some conflating of prioritization if you start to either cherry pick items out of out of it, because then you you naturally start to push things to the bottom if you start to prioritize things out. So you have to be very cautious about what you do as it relates to the to the order in which you process your your inbox. So I appreciate that. I want to make a, a distinction when when Art says, "Well, you don't want things coming back to inbox." And and I understand that principle, and I partially agree. You don't want to come back to inbox for the same thing. But as I said early at the beginning, a lot of the stuff I process, I filed them, and they went back to inbox because I could only foresee the next action. Okay, I could not. I didn't. I was not trained to look at okay how I'm never going to see this piece of paper again okay it was more okay what need to be done next and well a lot of them came back to inbox I don't think that's a problem that they come back I think it's a problem when they come back for exactly the same thing and that is an important an important distinction and especially on people who is beginning on on this process or is or is hey has lost has has fell out of the wagon and is coming back and now has everything out of control. Hey, paper that is filed, even when you need to come back, it's much better than a paper laying down on your on your desk. And I think that is important to to see that distinction. And that it doesn't get lost. The efficacy of your system is such that better to capture it twice or to put it back into your inbox again than for it to be lost by taking it out, presuming that you've taken care of it because you moved it someplace or what have you, and now that thing is lost and you drop the ball on something. So I do appreciate that concept of, of having a little bit of wiggle room. And I and, and I think we can all agree that a little bit of wiggle room uh, goes a long way, but it, it can't be too much wiggle room. You know, you, can, <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to kind of mind the gap there and, and be, be cautious of, of your, of your footsteps. I agree on that. The other thing I want to, to add in here is on the paper, inbox, if I'm processing this paper collection, I tend to start last in, first out, because if I, assuming I will have the time to process everything that is in that inbox, if I think, now, you know what, I only have five minutes, I probably will look and do something similar to what uh, Art has described, flip it over and start. When it goes to digital inbox, so aka email, I always go last in, first out. And the reason is I may be traveling most of the day, therefore I get and I have more emails that I want to recognize. And starting from the first one that came in, so first in, first out, what happened is a lot of that stuff has new information through the day, has stuff that may have been resolved, and then I may not need to do anything other than reply a quick good. So as for paper, I see the benefit of flip it over 
when you don't have the time to cover all the inbox. On the digital version, I recommend go exactly the opposite. Always start from the last out because if there were more people, if you were the only one copy there, fine, the ball's still in your court. But if there was more people there, it may be solved and you may be processing an uh, stuff that has been already solved five emails down the line. So it may be more efficient for the processing time you have. I think that the, the, the biggest challenge isn't in the what you do while you're processing or clarifying. I don't think it's the activity itself, as long as you're committed to getting to empty, as long as the destination is the same. I, I don't think it really matters, especially in today's world. I don't have an inbox, a paper inbox, but I have multiple capture points you know, in my life because I have tasks coming in or, or potential tasks coming in, but they're all digital. You know, I don't, I don't maintain a physical inbox. I think the book was written at a time when the physical inbox was a, a reality and a popular, a popular tool. But I think folks are, are moving away from having a physical, you know, paper-based inbox, and they're moving to having multiples. So the, the, the notion of top-down or bottom-up doesn't really make, doesn't really apply because you're forced to have multiple digital inboxes anyway. And you're not going to put them all together and then prioritize them. You're going to go through them one by one and um, until they're all empty, ideally. So I think it's it's become less important. I think what's more important is what we're about to talk about, which is the challenges to to clarifying. And so, Francis, I'm 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 curious, and I'm going to push back a little bit here, which is to say that many people still do have lots of paper in their world, and maybe this is just a product that you don't, but what do you feel like should be the process for clarifying, no pun intended, actually pun intended. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, what, what, what is the, what is the, what is the process there for people who, who are dealing with paper, you know, that's, that's coming into their, into their space? Uh, do you, do you still say that, that, that the promulgated process or method of GTD is is appropriate, or should they find some other mechanism like digitizing everything that is paper that's coming in? Or what do you what do you suggest to people? I think they should digitize if they can. If it's not if it's not practical, then they've got to they've got to live with it. Obviously, it's just that the the paper inbox for most people is becoming a, a fraction of the incoming time demands. There's more, way more email than there is paper, for example. I think back when the book was written, there was probably more of a, of a something of a balance. But now we're dealing with way less paper and way more digital uh, digital notifications and digital triggers of time demands. I think ultimately, yes, everything will be digitized. And I try to, when I'm really being really disciplined, I try to use my smartphone to take a picture of everything coming in and if I don't need it, I throw it away. And if I need it, I put it away in a folder. And I'm dealing with the digital copy of it in my sort of day-to-day dealing. And I only go back to the original if it's something I have to sign or something I have to maintain because it's it, there's only one copy of it. But that's just you know my way of digitizing my world as much as I can. When I travel, I find like I have to do 
have to do some version of this because I can't carry the paper with me. And I would agree with you, at, at least on the digitizing component for purposes of having access to the information, even if you need the physical document in order to finalize a project. I do something very similar, which is I capture almost everything that comes into, even if I receive, you know, like I recently received a gift card as a part of a rebate or something like that. And, you know, I took a picture of the whole thing, right? Card, everything, backside of the card, so that I had an image of the little Visa card and the documentation associated with it. Because while I was on the road, I was able to call up, activate the the gift card and load it into into my online Amazon account so that I could use the the money that was on the card. The physical card, sure, I need it if I'm going to make a physical purchase in the real world. But now I have the I have at least half the battle won because I have access to that information. So if I wanted to buy something online, whatever, I can use that that information wherever I am. And I know where that physical thing is because I have made sure in the capture process, going back to capture, I've made sure that the, that thing has a notation inside the note, because it's an Evernote, um, that notation that says, this is where that thing is. And that's really important that as you're capturing, it's important to think about what what's going to happen in the processing phase, which is, okay, what is this and where does it need to live? Well, you also have to identify in that processing stage where you currently have it, right? If it's if it's something physically bigger than can fit in your in-tray, you need to plant a flag in the sand so you know where to find it. And and part of that is if you're toggling the digital paper world, if you put something someplace, basically knowing where you put it, because it's really helpful to have a picture of something. But if you don't know where the physical thing is that you need in the future, it's really inefficient to then have to go looking for those things. I wanted to mention a couple more things before we move along to some of the challenges that people experience in clarifying. And that is the number of inboxes that you have. I really think that as you start clarifying, you start recognizing some of the inefficiencies of the numbers of inboxes that you might have. As, as I said at the top, you know, you have your voicemail and you have your text message inbox, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, you know, you have email, you have your physical mail boxes, you have your in-tray on your desk, you have all of these various inboxes. And at some point, you need to, to decide what is an inbox for you. So for example, I have said to my clients that they cannot message me on Facebook. There's a very good reason for that. I get tons of spam sent to my Facebook account because I'm known by people. I just get a lot of I get a lot of garbage just being sent to me in in that in that space and so therefore client messages get lost because I just have I've just turned off from that quote unquote other inbox. Has anybody ever seen this this other inbox? Basically Facebook tries to determine what is spam and what's not and many times my clients are not my Facebook friends because the the reality is that clients are not Facebook friends, you know, they're not my friends in real life, so why should they be friends on Facebook? And so they're messaging me from outside of outside of being a connection on Facebook. And so they put the people into other inboxes. It's this big spam mess. Anyway, my point to all of this is that I've decided that those messages 
are not an inbox to me. I'm not processing them. Once every once in a while, I'm going to select all and delete, and I'm not going to even think about it. And that way, it's a clear delineation between what's an inbox and what's not. And so it allows me to minimize the number of inboxes I need to process by helping people outside of your productivity system to help you streamline. So you can say to your spouse or significant other, your children, your parents, in my case, my mom and dad, you know, you have to communicate with me this way if you want something from me. And then, of course, you have to be willing to do it well on the opposite end, right? You have to communicate with them in the way in which they're willing, they they're, they want to be communicated. You know, some people like a phone call, some people like a text message, some people like an email, whatever. And, you know, I'm just particular about that. But what it does is it creates really a, a downstream efficiency for me so that it really helps. You know, one of the things I've, I've done is I've tried to sway people from away from using all of the various chat messaging apps down to the one that I use. And that's not always the case, right? You know, everybody uses the app of their choice, but where people can, I ask them to use Telegram because Telegram is a very competent tool. It's open, free open source software. It's a strong system and uh, it's easy to, to connect to. And so why not use the same platform if you're able to. And that way you can you can minimize and consolidate the number of inboxes that you're having to process. Just a thought there. Also, you have to be clarifying usually multiple times per day. And a lot of people don't really think about this, but you kind of go into this thing where it's like, okay, at the end of my business day, I'm going to process my inbox to empty. And then you get to your inbox and you've got 65 items in your inbox because you've been forwarding things in there. You've been capturing items. People have been sending you things all day. And now your email inbox and your task inbox is, is overflowing. So do not at all think that you can just process your inbox once a day unless you truly only get a couple of items a day in your inbox uh, and, and think that you're going to be able to keep a clean system. You need to maintain your system at the level in which the influx is coming in, right? So if you are getting four and five messages an hour, that means that every couple of hours or every three hours, you're going to probably need to be clarifying your inbox to empty every three to four hours, right? Every two to three hours, that is. So you need to stay up to speed in clarifying as much as the influx of content. And then my only final item is keep mindful of the amount of time you spend clarifying each item. There's a rate of diminishing return at some sort of at some point along the timeline for the outcome of any particular item that you process. So if you start spending too much time doting over the paper of the card you just received, well, that's not particularly useful for the fact that the card is some kind of notice that you have an event that you've been invited to. Deal with the the practical components of it and move on. You can always come back to the paper in a more appropriate time, but processing time should be done to be a swift, minimal use of your time for maximal output, maximal impact. So really think about how much time you are and, and start tra- tracking it. I think always tracking time is uh, is a good thing. Anyway, those are some of my thoughts in terms of guidelines. Now I'd like to move on to kind of the, the opposite side of this, which is the challenges people face in determining, in processing generally. I want to start off with the next action decision because I think a lot of people have some troubles there. I want to to set something before you jump there that you said that is really, really important. That is understand how often that processing needs to happen. 
there was, and, and there are times in your life where you're right. One, hey, first thing in the morning, and you are good. And there are other times that you need to be able to see that the craziness of your day, to call it in a way, require that you do it more often. And the interesting thing is I have found the opposite. You know, as your life gets more complex, as your life gets busier, people tend to then review instead of once a day, now once every two days, every three days, Saturday. Okay? And they wonder why processing is so difficult. Well, there is two things to to understand. One is the busier you are and the more craziness you have on your life, the most critical is that next step you are taking. So the more critical is to know that the next step you are taking is the correct one. And the only way to know that, or one of the ways to know that, is that clarifying step. So when your life goes closer to the craziness, you need to increase the frequency on when you are processing. And the mistake people have is thinking, because they are now doing it once a week, is, oh, I have, I don't have three hours in my day. That's true. But the reality is when you move that processing to every hour, okay, you don't need the three hours. You need 10 minutes. You need five minutes. But you need to make sure as craziness increase, that your next step is the right step. Because when you have now craziness on your life, make wrong steps and do unnecessary, non-relevant, low in the priority, totem, important things. What happens is you are going to waste a significant amount of time. I thoroughly agree. And so moving moving along, I'd like to talk about the challenges of clarifying or processing uh, as it relates to, to GTD and other productivity systems. And within the confines of GTD, though, we talk about the next action decision, how we do come to the point of deciding on what the very next thing is that we should do. And David Allen talks about this from the perspective that if, I, if you had a specter looking over your shoulder, they should be able to physically see you doing that thing. So we need to decide on what that thing is. And David, in at least the March 2015 edition of the book, gives a fairly good explication of the next action decision and, and how to get to that point in there in chapter 12. I wanted to talk about some of these issues of how each of us really define the next action in our own worlds. So I want to start with you, Francis. Uh, how, how do you how do you define the next action in your world? Well, to tell you the truth, this has sort of always puzzled me about GTD. I've never really understood the big deal, uh, to be honest. I, I, I'm not sure why I'm here because I'm an industrial engineer by training. But the next action, if I'm looking for something to put on my calendar, which is where I organize my tasks from, then it's it's sort of always been obvious. So I've never quite understood the conundrum of what to do next. I think it, again, it comes from from the problem of having a task list. And if you put something vague on a task list, you're not trying to schedule an item in your calendar. You don't have to go through the extra rigor of asking yourself, what am I trying to do? How long is it going to take? When am I going to do it? I, I think the bigger challenge that we have today, most people have, is not 
what do I do next in isolation with respect to something I've written down? It's what's it, it goes to what Augusto said. What do I do next in in the gestalt of all the things I'm committed to? So I have I have you know fifty time demands that that are are fairly urgent. How do I choose between them so that I can decide what to do next from all of them? So not the next action in a project. I think that's more straightforward. It's what's the correct sequence and the best sequence, especially when he said, you know, you're in a condition of, of overwhelm and stress. And if you choose the wrong thing, you could waste a lot of time. You could choose to work on a two-hour task. And at the end of the two-hour task, you, you finally enter your email and you discover that your boss sent an update and said, oh, by the way, don't work on that thing <laughs> that you're working on. <laughs> so you just blew two hours because you didn't you didn't uh, clarify or empty your email inbox at just the right time. I think those are the kind of challenges people have. Is how do I manage all of my commitments? How do I choose what to execute first? And at the same time, how do I manage the inflow of new demands on my time in a reasonable way? And the, the, the answer I often give is that if someone is going to be communicating urgent time demands to you that you do not use email because it forces you to become, therefore, a slave to your inbox. Instead, train them to use the phone so that they can interrupt what you're doing in a sort of a forceful way so that you don't waste your time doing things that shouldn't be done. So I would I would add that into to, to the mix because ideally you don't want to spend all of your time in your inbox. You want to spend your time doing doing productive work, but you've got to set up your total environment in a way that allows you to do that kind of work and be interrupted in an appropriate way so that you can choose the next action from all the actions. Is that making sense? Yeah, I, th- I think that we have uh, differing opinions all around in terms of how we manage that process. And I think that's actually good because I think other people will see and lean toward one thing or the other, you know, whereas you like to calendar and manage from a timeline perspective, an agenda perspective, uh, I just can't do that. My inner workings of my brain don't do that. <laughs> um, and it, it's, I think it's just fundamentally where I'm more comfortable, right? I like knowing that my calendar is for certain things and my task list is for certain things. And that's just my own personal desires to keep those things independent. But I can see the value in doing that. One of the things that I think a lot of people do is they undershoot the amount of time it takes to, to complete something. Right, right. By having it in the calendar, you are you are bound by the hard landscape as as uh, David Allen calls it, to see how much time you're spending on things. So whether you track your time using a, you know, Toggle or another app, or you use a calendar in order to actually fundamentally block out the time, you're starting to have a better view of how much time it takes to get things done. I have to agree with Francis on this on the standpoint of the next action thing doesn't quite fit with the way I approach things. Because I look at next action as not what's the next thing I need to do, but what's the next action it's going to take to move a particular item that I've captured forward. And the reason why I say it that way is because if you look realistically at most of your inbox items, they're probably not 
single things. They are probably probably not, you know, throw out that piece of paper or move that thing. There are usually multiple steps on whatever that capture item is that you've just brought into the mix, like maybe complete an invoice. Okay, great. So to me, the next action is what you're attaching to that item when you're clarifying it to say, what's the next thing you need to do on that item to move it forward? Not necessarily all the items you need to do to complete it successfully, but what's the next thing? And the purpose of that is, is very simple. When I go to grab that item to work on it, when I've finished something and I go to, I shouldn't have to think about, okay, what do I need to do? I've already done that thinking in the clarifying step. I've gone through and said, okay, this, I need to new, buy new tires for my car. Therefore, the next action is shop for tires. It's very clear. And if you look at GTT's idea of context, the context would tell you you're going to do that wherever you are or whatever it is. That complicates it. I think at the most basic, you're just clarifying enough to say, what do I have to do to get this thing off on the right foot and keep it moving? And once you've done that item, let's say you've done that part of that particular task, then you're going to, as its last step, define the next action to move that thing forward. And it again, for me, goes back to being interrupt driven. You don't always get an entire time window to to start and finish a task from beginning to end. A lot of times you have to start, do part of it, and then put it off to the side and come back to it because of something else. But when you come back to it, that next action is that flag as to where you're supposed to pick it up from. That's the way I see them. I don't know necessarily that that's exactly what's translated when you look at the book itself, because to my understanding, the book is saying, what's the next action for me to do right now? And for me, that's a different conversation entirely. In the time we have left, I'd like to talk about the collaborative challenges of, of and you were kind of talking about this a little bit, Art. I, I think that's what you were talking about here. And clarify me, you know, you can clarify if I was if I was off here. But my my thoughts here are that when we approach the next action principle with ourselves, we have to equally approach that with everyone in our lives. Otherwise, it becomes pretty difficult. But imposing, if, if you're not in the hierarchy of your organization, whether that be a, a church committee that you sit on, you know, volunteer organization, your role within your company or organization, or your role in your own family. If, you, if you're not in a position to be able to enforce the, the next action decision in every conversation, it becomes a little bit difficult to always have to do the work of identifying the next action and keeping people accountable to it. How do you all deal with that things come into your system as things are coming into into in, into other people's periphery, you have to then keep track of, of their next action decisions and, and helping them through that process so that potentially you can identify what yours are, right? So if, if you're sitting uh, with friends and they say, oh, well, you know, we should go see a movie. Well, all of a sudden, a panoply of options present themselves. And what you want to do is to know the thing you need to do, right? What, what is it that you need to capture and clarify and then organize to be able to deal with it? But if the, if the captured item is, let's all go to the movies, you know, that email chain goes around or that Facebook message, you know, in a group message goes around and people are kind of ruminating over various movie options. There's a point in which someone, 
and typically it's the listeners of our show who are our, <laughs> who are our type A folks who are going to be the ones who want a decision made and know that there's a next action that is going to have to be taken and multiple next actions. How how do we all deal with that function of of navigating the next action decision when there are multiple decisions and multiple people with those actions? There is two first things that get into my funnel. One is, do I care about the outcome? Okay, and if the answer is no, that's where it die. I don't care if we go do or whatever needed to happen with that. That's the first question I do. The second question is, do I'm going to be you know, assuming I care for that outcome, if there is anything I can do to affect the outcome. And there is moments that the answer is no. And if the answer is no, well, then the outcome is going to be the outcome and there is nothing I can do about it. And then the third one is, can I manage the outcome? And that means basically taking over. And there are moments that the three answers are no, no, no. And then, well, I just understand that it's going to be what it's going to be and there is nothing I can do. And there are other moments when the answer change in obviously different kind of variables. And if there is something that then I'm going to be affected and I care or I care for, then that goes directly into my system. And depending who the person is, I basically go from casually follow up to really annoying we need to get this done. And I'm not a, at the beginning of getting things done, I used to feel bad about those things. And I used to feel bad about, wow, you're kind of a micromanaging people with this. And later I understood that, no, I'm not micromanaging there. I'm trying to control how this is going to affect me. So when I begin with getting things done, and these things, I create a list for uh, my boss at the time. And I've been having one since. And I remember uh, at some point, one day, my boss called me to come and say, can you come? I said, yeah, I'm on my way. And then he said, please do not bring your list. And I told him then I'm not going. Okay. <laughs> and and then, uh what I learned that day is, you know what? This is being effective. I had a list, and every time I sit with him, I cover the whole list, and he hated. Uh, but the reality is, a lot of those things on that list affect what I was doing and affect my day to day. And I knew that if I did not manage them that way, eventually they were going to explode on his plate and he was going to come to me and say, well, what happened with this? Well, I'm waiting for you to decide. Well, do you never remind me? So eventually, you know, the, the thing was going to be in my lap anyway. So for me, the decision goes there, how that is going to affect me if I do nothing. And if the answer is, you know, for example, you said, hey, we're going to go to the movies. Well, do I care we're watching the movies? If I care, I will reply. Hey, why we don't go and see so-and-so movie? Oh, we don't want to see that. Okay, then I, probably I don't care anything else. Then let you guys decide what we're going to watch and we'll make no difference. I will go with a smile. If I care, then I take an active role into those decision-making. The choice of platform and the frequency of communication are really important in sort of today's world because just just as we've been talking about if you like to use telegram and i like to use email someone else likes to use voice we may never ever get to the movies because we would never communicate in a way that is all is compatible and timely so i think uh i know there's lots of software that's 
come out in the last few years to try and get teams to collaborate. Uh, tough one. You know, it, each person has their own style. Each person thinks about their tasks differently. Uh, each person wants to communicate with a frequency that works for them. Uh, I don't think I have a, an answer to that. I just think that the, there's sort of a, a step that has to be taken by a manager who's working with a team that has to depend on, on has some interdependency to sort these all out and come up with one, one sort of agreement as to, as to what the best course is to follow. It's funny because Slack and, and with HipChat and many of these other tools, even Google has now come out with G Suite's Hangouts chat as these uh, Microsoft Teams hat tip to art. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the reality is, is that with all of these new tools, there is still a not this grand uptick in productivity. It's not that we have greater output because of these tools. It really fundamentally comes down to the principles to which we hold to in order to create greater productivity. Right. I have a good example of that. that there's a, a company that thought they were going to gain all these productivity improvements by replacing email or, or supplementing email with, I think they use Skype for business, or, but some kind of instant message solution. And I, I visited someone who and who showed me her screen, and she had like ten ongoing instant message conversations that were simultaneously kind of on hold, and each person was sort of pinging her, asking, "How come I haven't heard from you yet? How come you haven't answered me yet? How come you haven't?" Ten of them, ten different pop-ups. So I think it's really easy to 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 believe that software is the answer when the truth is there are timeless principles that have always existed. And it's the principles that need to be used rather than the sort of the latest software. You're so right about that. I, I wanted to close out our episode with a, a quotation from David Allen from the book that I think really encapsulates what we've been talking about today. And he, and he says, quote, without a next action, there remains a potentially infinite gap between current reality and what you need to do. End quote. And I think that's a very, very interesting uh, thought there to leave us all with. And so I will. Do you have a question or comment about this episode, something we discussed in the cast or otherwise about personal productivity? You can go ahead and comment at the bottom of our, sh our show by going to productivitycast.net forward slash 040 for episode 40, and you'll find a comment box there. Feel free to leave us a comment or question. We'll be happy to do that. If you want to ask us about something else, please visit productivitycast.net forward slash contact, and you'll be taken to a contact form where you can leave a voice message, which if we decide to answer your question here on the show, you'll hear yourself. And or uh, in, in writing, you can go ahead and leave us a, a typewritten message and send that along to us. We are always excited to hear from you all. You can find this episode's show notes as well and how to subscribe at productivitycast.net forward slash 040. Uh, and if you could, please add a rating or review in iTunes to help us grow our personal productivity community of listeners. So thank you. Thanks to Augusto, Francis, and Art for joining me here on this cast. That brings us to the closeout of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Take care. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.